You're listening to a Westpac Wire podcast, westpacwire.com.au. It's been another big week for sustainable finance deals in Australia, carrying on a very strong flow of activity in the past year. And to help unpack this phenomenon, Westpac's Head of Sustainable Finance, Eliza Matthews, is joining me, Emma Foster, to talk through a few new deals out this week that Westpac's had a hand in and some other trends in the market. So hi, Eliza. Thanks for your time today. Hi, Emma. Thanks so much for having me. So, Eliza, before we get into the deals, can you tell us a bit about you and the role that you and your team play in the bank? Sure. Uh, I have a background in finance. Uh, I've spent about 10 years working in different structured finance areas before moving into sustainable finance. Really, when the market in Australia here kicked off in about 2016, and I now head up Westpac's sustainable finance team for the Institutional Bank. Uh, our team, we partner with our customers uh, with the ways we can help or incentivize them to improve their own sustainability performance. And there are a number of different formats we use to achieve this goal. It includes structures such as uh, green bonds and sustainability linked loans. And as the market has picked up in recent times, it's really been a busy time for the team. It sure has, and this week seems like it's no exception. So among the deals the team's been involved in, we've seen property group, GPT, pricing its first green bond. Can you tell us a little bit about that and uh, what's investor demand been like? Yeah, absolutely. This is a fantastic green bond transaction. GPT came out on Monday asking for investor feedback on a transaction. Very, very strong interest from investors and following the launch process ended up pricing $250 million green bond. And actually the price uh, came in eight basis points from the initial price guidance given to investors. So that's a sign that there was significant interest by investors uh, and a really great outcome for GPT. Uh, Through some of our own analysis, we believe that the green structure attracted a number of investors that would not normally participate in an Aussie dollar REIT transaction. What do you think is driving that? Uh, Investors have a similar pressure and desire to improve their own sustainability uh, and their end customers are demanding socially responsible or climate related investment products. So they are looking for places and ways to invest their money that might achieve those goals. Uh, And at the moment, there is more demand than supply. So there are more investors and funds looking for for these types of products than there are issuers coming to the market. There has been a massive pickup in the growth of green bonds. Um, I saw stats that last month we saw the highest monthly global issuance ever at 91 billion US dollars worth, which is which is massive. And uh, it comes at a time that focus on climate change is really intensifying, especially in the lead up now to the UN COP26 conference at Glasgow. How do green bonds make a difference? And and do you expect that strong growth? I think you've just said yes to this, but do you expect that strong growth to continue? I do. I do expect continued growth. Uh, I mentioned there is a shortage of supply. So issuers who get out there have good chance of um, of getting a deal that prices well and that suits them. The way that green bonds work to help achieve 
uh, global sustainability goals is by finding a way to allow investors at scale put investment dollars towards projects that meet those goals. So it's a very innovative form of financing uh, put in place. I think the first green bond was in 2009, but we've come a long way since then. And so for the GPT green bond, where is that investment going towards? The assets in the GPT green bonds are low carbon buildings that meet the climate bond standards as uh, low carbon buildings, which means they need to be in the top 15% of buildings in their state in terms of emissions. Okay. Also this week in a very uh, different type of sustainable finance instrument, you've helped aged care provider Estia close its first sustainability-linked loan. So for the uninitiated, can you explain how a sustainability-linked loan works and give us a bit of the detail about what Estia has announced? Uh, A sustainability-linked loan is sort of a newer structure than what we've seen. Sustainable finance started in green bonds. Uh, Sustainability-linked loans really only came to market in the last three or so years, uh, and sustainability-linked bonds even more recent than that. The way that a sustainability-linked transaction works, no matter what form of debt we're talking about here, is looking to a borrower's sustainability strategy and connecting the price of its finance to that. Uh, So as a customer might reach its sustainability goals, uh, the bank itself will reward that improved performance through a slightly lower Um, cost of funding or or a margin adjustment but it works the other way too so if the company isn't able to improve and we would set um, targets on the other side uh, then they will in fact pay a premium to their margin. Okay and so by way of example with Estia's sustainability linked loan can you explain the types of KPIs that are within that? Yeah sure every time we look at a new customer, the first question we have to think about is what are the material sustainability risks that that customer is facing? So we, as sustainability coordinator for the SDA transaction, look to SDA's sustainability strategy and look to understand in, in the aged care sector, what are those material risks that we need to consider? Following discussions between our team and the SDA team, we landed on four key goals that SDR will look to improve. That includes a reduction in greenhouse gas emissions, improved residential engagement and satisfaction, supporting employee well-being, and also improving the environmental performance of the underlying buildings in alignment with the recently launched Neighbours Aged Care Star Rating System. Any kind of sustainability link transaction has a number of KPIs And that number is determined based on what are the material issues. So mostly for the loan space, we see two to four key areas to focus on. At least one of those is usually around emissions reduction. But in the bond space, we tend to have a smaller number of APIs, one or two. And again, one of those is usually focused on emissions reduction. And so... Estia is the latest in in quite a a few companies that you've worked with on sustainability issuances. Um, Wes Farmer's 
property fund ISPT. One that's quite interesting also is the New South Wales Land Registry Services that I understand you worked on quite recently, which has quite an innovative KPI attached to that. Could you explain what that one is? Yes, for the land registry services, again, we set a number of KPIs and one of them does focus on emission reduction. But the really innovative area for for land registry services is focusing also on their reconciliation action plan. Mm. And the idea there is uh, for the land registry services, a very strong tie to the land and therefore that is uh, a material sustainability area that needs to be captured. Right. Okay. Interesting. So there does seem to be quite a bit of innovation going on in the types of sustainable finance instruments out there. You've just mentioned a few sustainability linked loans, sustainability linked bonds, green bonds, social bonds. Can we expect to see other different types of structures emerging? We can and we we will and in fact we are. Uh, There are some interesting structures in the market as we speak. The hard part or the the area that needs to be focused on is making sure that there are the right level of scrutiny of the transactions and guidance around what is important for making sure that transaction is actually serving the purpose. You know, if we come back to the whole purpose of sustainable finance, supporting customers to reach their sustainability goals uh, and to meet targets such as Paris Agreement or the Sustainability Development Goals. So... Every new innovative structure, it does need to have some level of review to make sure that these broader objectives are being met. There is risk of greenwashing that needs to be sort of balanced against uh, real driving of change. I was going to ask you about greenwashing. There is a bit of commentary around that risk. Can you give us a bit of a sense of where things are at from a standardisation perspective to avoid that risk? Yes, uh, it, it's at different levels depending on the type of structures we're talking about. In green bond land, so the more mature of all of our markets, which sounds to me funny because land is still very new, a very new industry, it has become more developed. There have been market-based principles in place through the green bond principles for several years. And there also is quite clear guidance from a scientific perspective around what exactly qualifies as a green asset. The entity we often use there is called the Climate Bonds Initiative, and they set scientific-based criteria for qualifying assets. So I'd say on the green side, there is pretty good guidance, uh, quite a lot of precedent uh, and a fair level of understanding around that. Uh, And that helps a lot in avoiding greenwashing risk. In the newer structures, sustainability-linked loans and sustainability-linked bonds, there is uh, guidance out there. We do have the sustainability-linked loan principles and and similar for the bond world, but those are principle-based. There isn't yet clear guidance on exactly what to look for. The principles state we need to look for KPIs that are material to the business and set targets that are very ambitious for that business. But determining materiality and determining ambitiousness is still a judgment call. And there is quite a lot of work involved as a sustainability structurer to make that that call. Our role as sustainability coordinator is to assess materiality, ambition, and these international standards and and help to make that transaction a success for the borrower. Okay. 
Well, there is clearly a big appetite from corporates and investors for sustainable finance instruments like this. Do you feel like they're closer to becoming considered mainstream for companies looking to structure their finance? Are we kind of at a point yet where it's viewed as a kind of a default option for financing? I don't think we're there yet. If I, and I'm, I'm sure my numbers will be wrong, but for, for the sake of magnitude, bear with me. But say the Australian corporate bond market, I estimate that the, the green social sustainability bond element of that makes up around about 10% of total issue. So a meaningful amount uh, and certainly a great result for issuers and investors alike, but still not the the majority, not a mainstream event. With the sustainability-linked type insurance, there's a huge applicability across a really broad range of customers. Uh, the, the, the thing that may hold green bonds back is the need to be able to identify the underlying assets and qualify them as green. Uh, some customers don't own those assets, so they could never enter into that market. A sustainability-linked issuance doesn't need uh, qualifying assets, as I mentioned, instead it focuses on a sustainability strategy. So this is applicable to a really, really broad range of borrowers uh, and issuers in our market. Sustainability-linked loans and bonds have grown rapidly to now at a really, really rapid rate, uh, even compared to the, the rest of the sustainable finance market. And I believe that's due to the broad applicability of the structure to our customers. And I expect over time this area could become mainstream. But the question is, you know, how long does that take? Just coming back to the role of sustainable finance deals in, in Westpac's strategy, the bank has set some pretty big targets around helping transition to a low carbon future, which were confirmed uh, at its recent ESG market update. Where does sustainable finance issuance fit into that strategy for the bank? And how are things going in relation to any targets that have been set? So in terms of our strategy, we want to actively support our customers as they transition. This is an important part of, of helping our customers. On top of that, sustainable finance is actually good for business. If we take the thinking back to climate risk as a financial risk, these types of structures are helping customers to become more sustainable, which in turn helps us from a credit perspective. So uh, it does help on the, on the business perspective too. So finally, Eliza, just thinking about the finance sector here in Australia specifically and, and also globally, the sector does need to play a really massive role in the transition to a net zero future. Do you feel like the momentum is there to meet that challenge? Absolutely, absolutely. We've had unprecedented growth in the sustainable finance market this year and actually every year before it. Every year I look at the graph for issuance and I'm amazed how much has happened in the year we're currently in. Uh, anecdotally, I can say that the conversations we're having have changed over the years. I've been in sustainable finance since it really kicked off in the Aussie market in 2016 uh, and in that time, I've seen a, a really big swing in terms of our customer feedback. Generally today, companies have clear sustainability strategies and strong ambitions for emission reduction. The focus of discussion tends to be more on the process, the how do we do this? Whereas in the past, it used to be more on the why should I do this? 
Uh, to me, that speaks to corporate Australia pushing to meet the challenge of achieving a low carbon future. Well, it is a challenge that we all want to see met. So, Eliza, thank you for the role that you're playing and also thanks for the chat today. Thank you so much, Emma. Really enjoyed this.